Hello and welcome to Life of Brian, Manix, that is. I'm doing it as a, um, one of those old uh, newsreels. Yes, I say, Winko. Yes. Our boys are giving Jerry a right pounding. <laughs> yes, let's do the whole show like that, shall okay, we? Okay, let's do Wing that. Commander Hillier and Flight Sergeant uh, Mannix here. Yeah? Okay, all Welcome right. aboard. Yes, hello, everybody. Welcome to uh, Life of Brian Mannix, that is. Uh, thanks to Murcott's Driving Excellence, 1300 555 576. How are you, Brian? Well, Winko, I just had some important news I just heard on the BBC that as we speak, our boys are storming the beaches of Normandy and we're giving Jerry a right pounding. Yes, and they've got gas masks on so they'll, they, what, they won't look out of place. Uh, how, how are you going? How, how's life? Oh, look, it's okay. I had my uh, second jab the other day. Okay, and so you're fully vaccinated now? Yeah, I was crook as the dog, though, uh, um, with the second jab. For about 10 okay. hours, I was no good at all, but um, all good now. All right. Yeah, what about yourself? You've been uh, jabbed? Yes, I've had I've had the two jabs, uh, and, and like you, uh, haven't posted on social media, so as, you know, it's the happy little snap of me pointing to my right shoulder where, I've, you know, someone stuck a needle in it. No, didn't do that, but no. Why not? Fully, fully jabbed. Oh, well, because seriously, do, do, we really need, do we really need to know? I mean, is it going to make any difference if a football team goes and gets jabbed? Is that going to make the rest of us get jabbed? I don't well, I just that. think there's not enough coverage of uh, people getting a needle in their oh. arm, Kevin. <laughs> you know, I turn on the news most nights and there's nothing about it. There's yeah. no, no pictures of vaccine arriving no. and injections going in the arm. <laughs> My God, we've seen more injections go in the arm than we have Olympic medals and yes. it's been an Olympic year. Yeah, no, it's, it's, it's mm. a bit out of control. I don't know that we – I mean, you can lead a horse to water but you can't make a drink. Just everyone go and get vaccinated. It's as simple as that. And if you don't want to, don't. But suffer the consequences. Well, simple that's what as- Donald Trump said. He said, I've been jabbed and, you know, it's up to you. You have your freedoms. But personally, I got jabbed. And I thought yeah. that's probably one of the better ways to say it. It's yeah. like, okay, I respect your freedom of choice but personally I got jabbed. But uh, there's a there's a, a story you know, going around at the moment. Get jabbed, though, shouldn't it? And we've talked mm-hmm. about this on uh, on various podcasts, on Rock and Roll and on this podcast, that the things like the Bruce Springsteen concert in uh, in New York last month. Uh, if you didn't if you didn't have the jab, you weren't allowed into the into the concert, even to the point where if you'd had AstraZeneca, um, you weren't allowed in because that's not a uh, recognised one in America. But uh, the entertainment industry is embracing this in this country because they want to get venues open again. So they're going to get all the staff, all the bands. And hopefully all the crowd, all vaccinated, and then we can get back to enjoying uh, the freedoms of going to a pub and watching a band. Well, the problem with that is, Kev, that all of us musicians, we've forgotten all of the chords. Um, <laughs> we no longer know how to play and do this stuff. It's been so long. Um, you know, you, next time you go and see, um, you know, uh, John Farnham and or uh, Jimmy Barnes, you'll be surprised to see that they'll have sheet music in front of them and they'll be <laughs> reading off the sheet music like it's been so long. <laughs> you know, uh, working class, what's the next bit? What, what do I do now? Oh, man. Working Where's class, hang on a sec, flick the page, <laughs> man, right. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And now, actually, we're going to speak about John Farnham with one of our guests today because uh, a strange little uh, sort of fan moment uh, with one of our guests. But our two guests uh, on this podcast, um, the first one is is Brian Brown, who's written a new book. Struth. His first book, he's ventured into the storytelling genre in terms of writing it down rather than just acting it out. Well, he's uh, always been a storyteller, as he as he points out to us, yep. Kev. It's a good little book. It's called Sweet Jimmy. Uh, it's short stories. Uh, a, a couple of them, I hope, get made into uh, into movies uh, with him in them because they're, they're obviously clearly written with uh, with him in mind. Uh, and uh, our other guest is, uh, is Nick Wolfe from uh, The Wolfe Brothers. All right. From Tasmania. Fantastic. They're a terrific band. They've got a, an album out at the moment called Kids on Cassette and uh, we're going to play one of the songs off that. We're also going to play uh, a song from uh, the band, one of the, a band that uh, Brian Brown had a bit to do with them getting signed, which we've talked about previously on this podcast. That's Lime Cordial. I've been listening to them. They're good. Yeah, Screw Loose is the track we're going to play. It's a bit out there, I can tell you that much. Well, the uh, one I was listening to sounded like an Irish John Lennon. 
Oh, okay. If that makes any sense. But anyway, yeah. yep. Okay, and uh, we'll yeah. play a terrific song by the Wolf Brothers too um, of their uh, their kids on cassette CD, one that they've done with Amy Shepherd called Something's Going to Happen, Something Good's Going to Happen. So right. that's all coming up with thanks to our very good friends at Mercot's Driving Excellence, 1300 555 576. Do a driving intervention. Just tell someone that you sit in the passenger side with, you know what, you need some work. Yeah. You just, you need some work. I was saying that to some Sheila the other day and she didn't like it <laughs> at all. Was that I said, baby, you need some work. <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 it was just some girl sitting in the in the food court and I just said, nah, you need you need some Botox, baby, and oh, perhaps some fillers. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I would recommend you get a boob job, but <laughs> just get one done, see if you like it, and after six months just, if you like it, get the other one done. Just get one done. Yeah, just get oh. one done because you might not like it. It might oh. be too much strain on your back or something. Right. So get one boob job done. There's you know, one, and then you go, oh, yeah, this is grouse. And after six months, you try it out, you go, right, I'm getting the other one done. You know, I reckon next time you go to get the bo- – when you go to get the booster uh, shot for um, your uh, your COVID-19 what, – What's this be- booster shot? Yeah, yeah, it's a booster shot you'll have in about uh, six months' time, I think it is. That's only for Pfizer, isn't it? No, I don't know. Um, I'm not a doctor. Do I look like a doctor to you? I heard I- there's a booster suppository, and I'm not into that at all. <laughs> I'll take the jab. <laughs> Um, just be careful who gives it to you because the the rate you're going, no one, will, the, whatever they stick in you, but you might not, you might not survive it. <laughs> Your attitude. Well, I better wear gloves. Yes, I think. All right. Wear. Let's talk to our good mate, uh, and he was in quarantine when we spoke to him too, uh, Brian Stop. Brown, uh, about his about his book, Sweet Jimmy, and about a whole lot of other things, including obviously uh, some of the great acting roles he's done over the years. Crikey, it doesn't get more Australian than this, Giv. Hello there. G'day, Brian. It's Kevin Hillier and Brian Mannix calling you from beautiful downtown Melbourne. How are we down? How are we in beautiful downtown Melbourne? Oh, shit house. Oh, we're, <laughs> we're in beautiful, beautiful lockdown Melbourne. Um, oh, so you're used to it. Oh, I love it. Fantastic to you. <laughs> Where are you, Brian? I'm in quarantine in a Brisbane hotel. Oh, okay. Oh, so, quarantine, so you're not even allowed to go outside. Uh, I, I, I'm not, I was just I was just looking through the window there at a block of flats, and for the first time I've just seen someone walk out onto the balcony. But the bastard's gone and sat behind a uh, behind a, a island of some sort. So I'm not so uh, you know I just wanted to see this activity, and he's gone and hidden himself. I've got no one to look at now. Um, <laughs> oh God! That's how small my life got. Oh uh, Jesus! Except for talking to you, Blake. Well, and unfortunately, you finished the book. So this would be a good time to be writing because you can't do much else and you unfortunately you've finished it. Well, as much as I'd like to say I haven't got much else to do, but you know, now I've got to now I've got to, you know, talk to people about the book so that the so that people know about it and decide whether they want to get it or not. So that's actually quite occupying during the time I'm here. That helps. And then because, you know, I've been an actor for forty five years or some bloody thing, you know, you you learnt right from the beginning how to potter. So, you know, there's always something to do. You're out of work so much. Getting Being out of work and not having anything to do, you work out how to handle that. So not so difficult for us, folks. Hey, uh, how long did the book take you to put together, Brian? Was it something that you've caught have been working on for years or is it something that you just decided to go one day, I'll write a book? No, I didn't even think about writing a book. There was a story in, in the book called Nightmare that I wrote about 40 years ago in Los Angeles when I was came up with an idea for a pitch for a movie. And I just kept writing it and writing it, and it ended up being a story. And then, so that was written ages ago. And then about three years ago, I started to write a pitch for a, for a story again, which is called A Time to Do in there, which was about a bloke that had got caught in a scam and went to jail in Hong Kong. And when he got out, he had to just find out who was behind it. And I wrote that as a, as a and I tended to keep writing, writing, and it became a story. Um, and then I sort of, I showed that to a couple of people and they went, yeah, you're a good storyteller, and I, I like how you've done it. And then I, then I just sort of got a little bit of a, a kick on with that. While I was sitting around, I'd think of something, and I'd go. I remember I had one one of the stories I had. I was driving on the car, and I thought, Jesus, what if Sam Neil was a thief? So I decided <laughs> to start a story about a bloke called Sam the Thief. 
I reckon he's a thief, by the way. But anyway, go on. Oh, no, he's an evil bastard. <laughs> anyway, um, and, you know, and then I started to think of other little stories and so and I go, oh, I still got a bit of flowing. So over the last couple of years, and then someone read all, read a, said, can I have a look at all those stories? And then they read them, and then they said, well, I think uh, Alan Arnold would like to publish these. So the next minute, it's a book, but it's not what I set out to do. I didn't set out to write a book because I would never, never be that arrogant. If you said to me 18 months ago, you've got a book coming out, I'd have said, pull the other one. Well, there's, um, there's Brian Brown, author. Is that that sit with you nicely now? Are you, you're accustomed to that as part of your moniker? I'm not that accustomed to it. However, being a very practical man, I've written a book, so I'm an author. <laughs> Fair enough. Did you, did you enjoy the process of writing? Because I know as, well, as an actor, it's pretty much a collaborative thing where the director's telling you to stand here and the wardrobe person's making you wear this and, you know, and it's just sort of a bit of a team effort. But with the book, you're the director, you're all the characters and you're the set designer and everything. Was that was that liberating? That's quite good, that. Um Look, the long and the short of it is, for forty or fifty years, I've been I've been a storyteller, either yeah. in telling stories in, in movies or on television, where I play a character and in a story, and I got to make sure people believe it so that I'll get carried away with it. Um, that's the job. So storytelling's been a huge part of my life. You know, I might look upon it as like oh, I'm an actor, right? But the the larger thing is that I tell stories and I produce too. I produce stuff, so I work with writers and all that stuff. So the actual thing of storytelling is not unusual to me. It's just that I've never done it in this way where I've actually written down the story and there it is as a, as a, as a, as a bunch of words. That's new. And did I enjoy it? Yeah, I did. So, because, I mean, as a, for me, everything's about character. Or, or, you know, the movies I like to do, yeah. there's something to do with the character that I like to, I want to I put out there or try to put out there. So here I start off with a character, like a bloke called Sam the Thief. And I go, well, who's Sam the Thief and what's he done? And then I just let it go. And it's the same with all of them. I just, I just start, and I think that's how some writers write. I have no idea where it's going, but slowly but surely it starts to take, uh, it fashions itself into a story and you start to see where it may go. But with some of them, I came to an ending and went, I, I went back to it a few weeks later and went, don't like that ending. I don't think it's true. So I went to, you know, I'd go over it again. But, but really, the characters led me to the story. I don't want to do a yeah. spoiler alert here, but did you say you started, the whole process started with a time to do? That was the first one you did? That was the first one in the last three years, in the last two, three years since I've been writing them, yeah. There was one I wrote called Nightmare 20, 35 years ago. Yeah. That, I went back to that and put that in, included that. But no, I started with a time to do about three years ago. So uh, did you, is Frank Testy a, uh, someone that you saw yourself playing? Yeah. Yeah, I thought so. Yeah, because I, I went... If that was me, I want to know who the bloody hell was behind this. And I went, ooh. So I was watching a thing on television about these people. And I went, ooh, that's a great impetus for a character and a story. So then I started to write what it might be. And I can see you playing that part perfectly because, uh, you know, he's a, he's a, a sort of bloke with, uh, with, with a, a 30 or 40-year-old daughter. I don't know how old Bonnie is. I can't remember. But, uh, you know, he's a swimmer and he's, uh, he's in good nick and he loves to sit on the, uh, on the, uh, the Bondi and have a beer and look over the beach and do all that. So that, 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 I see you playing that perfectly. I, I might cast you in that, Brian. Oh, that's good. How much are you playing? <laughs> <laughs> the second language of actors, how much are you playing? <laughs> I was looking at you, 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 you always come across as the quintessential Australian bloke, Brian. I just to see your dad and mum as Jack and Molly Brown. You couldn't get more Australian names than that, could you? Jack and Molly Brown, and they had their son, Brian Brown. I remember... What? I remember being at school and they used to have these little books and that and they'd, go, they'd have John and Mary Brown, John and Mary Brown, which was their name, and he became Jack and mum was Molly. But uh, John and Mary Brown had a farm. And I remember thinking, we don't have a farm. <laughs> 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 it, just sounds, it just sounds like, yeah, Jack and Molly had a farm. It's, it's, yeah, it's a classic. It's but the, really... the, the, the truth is that, you know, I was brought up by Molly. Jack wasn't around. Uh, Molly Brown was the... Uh, the power, the huge power and influence in my life. Well, she's done a great job. 
Are you writing any new stuff or are you just, you're just concentrating on this one at the moment? Is it something that you think you'll continue to do? I, I'm muddling around with something right now. Look, I, I think the fact of the matter was that the reason I started to write the stories was like, I don't know, maybe it was just time. Maybe it was time for me to put pencil to paper and, and, and create some characters and stories that other people weren't doing. That I, They all also came from me just looking back at my life and looking back at being a young man growing up in the suburbs and the choices and that, that you can make and seeing blokes make that, you know... At, they can be a bit of a, a bit of a larrikin choice, but then they can get you can make a choice that's not a larrikin choice, but you've stepped over a line, and the next minute you're on a bond, or then you mix in with other kids that are on bonds or have been inside, and suddenly your world goes askew. So I, I just I was just looking at I, I started to remember moments and people, and I just re- was remembering people that had been that I'd come across in my life, good, good people and, 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 and people that got, got, that got themselves into strife and remembering the little incidents in the life and just wanted, and I found a way, therefore, to just talk about those in, incidents in a story that, that was, you know, crime. I, you know, I like the crime genre, but, you know, I saw blokes do things which was sort of like, you went, oh, that's a bit adventurous, a bit naughty. But then I start, nowadays I sort of go, what happened to that guy? Yeah, and he stayed being naughty, and naughty became really stepped over the line, and now his life's destroyed. I started to think about those incidents in life that I'd seen. You know, wow. yeah, it's, that's a chance for you to kind of, I guess, delve into that darker side, isn't it? Where because uh, Brian said, you know, you've got you've, you're seen as the quintessential Australian male bloke, you know, smile on your face and a beer in your hand. Uh, this allowed you to kind of go into a little darker places with some of these characters too, didn't it? Yeah, yeah, no, it does. I mean, I've played, I've played pretty darkish characters. I mean, you know, Sweet Country, Fletcher the Cop there in Sweet Country. Yeah. He's he's a pretty sort of hardish bastard. And and you know, Pando's not the nicest oh. bloke in the world. <laughs> yeah. in oh, no, no, not at all. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. Point taken. <laughs> uh, yeah, you strike me as a bit of a Henry Lawson kind of guy. Would that be right? Well, that's a that's a pretty nice thing to say, but I think I sort of understand what you're saying. Like, I tend to write about what I what I know and what I like. I, I'm not stretching madly here, and there's not a lot of adjectives in these stories, and there isn't any. It was a dark and and cloudy night. Um, <laughs> you know, I, I don't have stories that go on a dark and cloudy night, and he came around from the the back of the red. Red Picture Theatre and, and pulled out a gun and shot him. I just thought he pulled out a gun and shot him. Yeah, good. That's good. Straight to the chase. Fantastic. Well, I must admit, I started to read it and the first one, Boys Will Be Killers, I thought, my God, if he... I read the first 10 pages and thought, Jesus Christ, if he keeps this pace up for the rest of the book, I'm going to... Not only am I going to be exhausted, but the entire population of the world will be dead. <laughs> Yeah, they don't muck around. No, no, it's it's uh, it it moves at, it moves at a furious pace. There's little bits and pieces in it that I wondered is is that your sense of humour where in that in that first one, boys will be killers, where you basically go off and do a little potted history of the BGs at one stage while the bloke's driving in his car to a crime scene. Yeah, well, like music plays a big part in our life when we're in the car. Yeah, you know, yeah, and look out the window and and sort of. Enjoy the scenery while you know the Beatles are singing. You know, um, love me do. Um, it all goes together. Speaking of music, you got the Lime Cordials, the record deal. Is that uh, right? They're they're mates of mine. The little the the, the young fellas of that Ollie and Louis Lineback, great kids. They've they've grown up with my son forever, and um, I've known them, and they're they're kicking kicking goals. They're great. They're great little musos. They, they remind me of the Beatles. Those boys. Great music, great kids and stuff. But but they I, they did make I did have to go in a video of, of one of their first songs for them. Yeah, I remember that. Yeah, yeah. We were, we were talking to Michael Chug the other week, and he was telling oh, us about oh that. Oh God! And then he said, he said, the fine Brown introduced me to this band. Said you got to sign them. <laughs> I had to listen to them. We signed them. Chuggy, <laughs> uh, another. It was so sad to hear about Gadinsky. Gadinsky. Oh uh, yeah. Two people that you're just very glad they exist in the world. 
Yeah. Um, yeah. They aren't as tough as they come and as big and as boisterous, but by Jesus, they've helped a lot of people. Uh, great blokes. And Chuggy, yes, I might have said to Chuggy, you got to have a look at these blokes. But I tell you what, you don't tell Chuggy who to sign. He decides. Um, <laughs> uh, you know, like I, I might have poked him in a bit of a direction. But, uh, yes, they're with Chuggy, and I'm really pleased about that. Hey, you mentioned, well, the, okay. you mentioned the Beatles. You, you, did, you did that film with Paul McCartney, didn't you? I did uh, give my okay. Broad Street with, uh, with Paul. Yeah, great fella. And Ringo. And oh. Ringo. And I was, every time, you know, we were shooting in the BBC studios there at one stage, and every lunchtime Paul would pull out his guitar and he'd start playing Elvis oh. or something. Uh, wow. and, 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 and I remember thinking, like, like, I remember thinking, God, if only I had a bloody tape recorder of some sort. Of course, these days you just put, turn your phone on without anyone noticing and you'd have recorded the whole thing, um, uh, which was pretty amazing situation. The other thing was that you'd sit down at lunch and ring out, be sitting down at lunch there, you'd be sitting at lunch. And eventually I said to Paul, I said, it got to the stage with Ringo where I go down to sit at lunch and if he opened his mouth, I, I didn't want him to open his mouth because I knew the pain that I'd have from laughing would be too much to bear. <laughs> I said to Paul, why is Ringo so bloody funny? He said, well, when he was a young kid, they ripped about 13 miles of intestines out of him. He was supposed to die, and he didn't. And he said, he said so for Ringo, every day is a good day. Wow. And he's the funniest bastard I have ever sat and listened to. And it's painful listening to him. It's so funny. <laughs> oh, wow. Oh, that- that's fantastic. That's a big yeah. rap because wow. I mean you've you've worked with Dudley Moore and you work you work with so I can't believe the amount of people you've worked with over the years. Michael Caine, yeah, everybody. Dudley, Dudley was a lovely boat. He liked tall girls, Dudley. <laughs> right. Yeah, I heard that. Yeah, he had a big Texan there for a while. He was a little he was a little fella, lovely fella. God alive, what a lovely fella. Uh, I mean, you were talking about writing a book. What uh, what about a memoir? What about all the things that you've done? Is that is that something you want to do or something you've avoided doing or? I wouldn't do it in a million years. Not, uh, the last thing I want to do is write a bloody book. Who the hell wants to hear about me? I'd rather write these stories with little things in there that might have happened to me that no one knows. Yeah. Put them up for shooting them. So did you do yeah. that? Did you hide stuff that you've done that, that is oh, you in this book? Things, there's little things through this book that are me or a mate or a, a world that I'm, you know I came across, things like that, yeah. How many of them will get made into movies? Do you think? Because the, 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 I mean, I've read three so far, and I've and, and I, I really think a time to do is a is a movie waiting to be done. Yeah, a time to do. I'm I'm actually developing that with Bunya Productions, the people that make Mystery Road and who do I did Sweet Country with. We're developing that oh, at the wow. moment. Yeah. So, uh, but the, the others, when I think about it, the others are all good little. I think the others are stories. I guess it's because of the background I, I deal in television and film, and you know. I'm always thinking in, in, in that respect in terms of a story. Uh, and I think there's a few of them there. There's, there's one, the, the, the thief one, the, the, the tea leaf story. Yep. I think that could be a ripper in the suburbs because I've got some, some very colourful characters in that. Oh, absolutely. The uh, 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 Bobby and Gary and, uh, and Sam, as you mentioned. You wouldn't get Sam Neill to play that, that role. Though. He's probably a bit old for that, isn't he? I'm only after good actors. <laughs> Wherever there's a grandfather needed, I'm casting him. <laughs> the lovely little critique he wrote of the book saying that he was furious that you're actually a good writer as well as everything else. Yeah, no, it's quite, it's quite funny. That. He's very clever with his words, the old Sam. Yeah, he's very very sharp. That was a very nice thing of him to do that and to, and to give that as a colouring thing on. I'm appalled. What is it? I'm I'm furious. Yes. It's very funny. Yeah, no, very, <laughs> yeah. very funny. What uh, what movie stuff are you, are you? I mean, you're in lockdown. We know you're in quarantine at the moment. But are you uh, got a movie that you're working on, or a TV series, or something? Oh, at the I'm moment, about, I'm about, yeah, I'm about to shoot um, eight episodes of a show called Darby and Joan, and I play Darby, who's an ex, who's a set in the outback and stuff. And I'm a ex, ex cop who's retired, who's run away from life a little bit. He's out there now, out in the outback fishing or doing whatever he wants to do with no one around. And then there's this woman called Joan. Her husband's died in Australia and, and he, she didn't know that he was even out there. And so she's come to trace his journey to see what the hell he was on about. And so um, and they in the outback, they bloody crash into each other and one car's destroyed. So they have to, both of us are in her bloody van going, going along. So it's a bit like the odd couple. Uh, each, each episode they go somewhere where there's a scenario that gets sorted out, but in the sorting out of it, 
they learn more about each other and the audience learns more about each of them. So, uh, And I'm doing it with Greta Scarfi. So it's a bit of a, ro- a road movie, which is fun. Oh, wow. That you've, sounds great. You've done a fair bit of stuff in the outback. Do you, is the outback a place that you like to go or is it just love it? Just get, yeah, love it. Love it. What, are you, what are your favourite places? I like Alice and yeah. I like outside of Alice a lot. Outside of Alice is sort of pretty fantastic. Filmed in a lot of places. I think the places that are most isolated are the place that, places you remember. I mean, I, I've filmed in Caratha. In the, I mean, when the, when the film industry started re- resurged in the 70s, and I was lucky enough to be a part of that, we were on planes going to places twice a year. Like, I mean, I'd never been on a plane. So getting on a plane and going to Adelaide, even though it was economy, was like, wow, I'm living. Uh, but, you know, Charters Towers was one of the first jobs I did, going there where I shot a show called The Irishman. You've got to discover your country by telling stories, and, and that was that's the fantastic thing of it. You know, I've, I've filmed a hell of a lot of places around Australia, but I've filmed a hell of a lot of places around the world. I've filmed in about 25 countries. Wow. I've been up the top of mountains with mountain gorillas. Yep. You know? Yeah. I've yeah. been to China. I've thrown bloody bottles you know, with Tom, which has got me three drinks for the rest of my life all over the place. <laughs> <laughs> did Tom make you stand on a box? He's not very tall, is he? You mean, did Tom stand on a box or did I? Yeah, because so, you're pretty tall and he's pretty uh, short. Uh, it's a bit, he's, he's not actually pretty short. He's just not as tall as me. Very good guy, that. Very good guy. I had a lot of fun with him. Very nice bloke. Fair yeah. enough. Start off. Worked hard, that bloke. What interests you in a script now, Brian, when, when, when you get a Darby and Joan handed to you? What, what makes the decision to do it opposed to the probably 10 others you get you knock back? I think it's always about the story. It's always like, does this story have anything to offer the public? And the role they want me to play, am I able to bring something to that story through this, through this character? And not wanting to be necessarily repetitive in the type of story, looking for different stories and stuff. So this, this story, I just sort of like the well, first of all, I like the idea of the odd couple thing. I like the idea of, a, of me as a, you know, getting on hardened sort of bloke, bumping into a woman who's quite vulnerable and, and having to share time with her. I like the concept of, um, because of my age, you know, like I'm very interested. I'm very interested in my age group. I'm very interested in people. That's why I made a movie a couple of years ago called Palm Beach, which yeah. is about people where it's very easy to go, oh, the world's about being 25 or 35 or 45. The fact of the matter is you never stop dealing with life. It doesn't matter what. And when people might look at people and go, oh, what have they got to deal with? They're dealing with either their children or their grandchildren or their, their parent going in, 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 having Alzheimer's or they themselves, their partner getting it. You're dealing with life all the time. And, I mean, at my age group, I'm much better off telling stories about people of my age group than telling stories about 40-year-olds because other people can tell the 40-year-old story. I've told the 40-year-old story, yeah. but I, I, you know, I'm interested in, in saying, hey, listen, I know what it's like to be this venerable age, and I know that we're alive and dealing with stuff. I'm there, and here's a story for you that, that, rec- re- that represents something about that. That hasn't changed from when I was, you know, when I was 30, I wanted to tell stories about, you know, people that told authority where to go, you know, I did yeah. a few of them. Now I'm telling other stories. Yeah. Do you look back at your early work ever? I saw Breaker Maria a couple of years ago with Bruce Beresford and, and, and Jack and Matt, the, the producer of it, because we had to do a, a, a commentary on it. And so we got to sit there and look at it, and it was like, well, it's a very good movie. Oh, it's, it's a great brilliant. movie. It was a, oh. easy, easy to watch. But, Possibly um, the best Australian movie ever. Yes, it's very, very good about it in every way. But I... I looked at it and I thought, you know, like I said, wow, I, I just remembered how, how great it was. You know, I was on horseback and it was hot and we were, you know, I got to tell people where to go and I got to jump, jump on a couple of ball women in, in bed. And, you know, like, I, what, a, what, a, what a bit of game, lucky game I got to play as a young fella. Yeah, that's, a, that's such a special movie. I think it's fantastic. In yeah. fact, I reckon that the Tom Cruise movie with Jack Nicholson, did Tom Cruise see Breaker Moran? Because I reckon that movie, well, I forget what it's called, you know, you can't handle the truth. A few good men. It's a bit like, yeah, it's a bit like Breaker Moran, but not as good. Yeah, I, a lot, most war movies will be about the, you know, the, the powers 
making making the, the the people without power bear the consequences of war. Breaker has a lot. lot I think Breaker Breaker was a very strong, powerful movie, and it's sad too. You know, you go, you go to war, you get killed. It's not not nice. You know. Yeah. Was it a play first? Because it sort of was a play. Yeah. There was yeah. a play. There was a book that I think Andrew Denton's father wrote. Yeah, Kit. Kit. Yeah. And then there was a play. From that play, Bruce started to develop a screenplay with a couple of other blokes. So, yes, the time of Breaker was happening. It was a natural for a film. Oh, yeah. absolutely powerful. I watched – we have a thing in our house where we watch an Australian movie once every sort of week or so. We sit and have a, like a little date afternoon. We watched The Odd Angry Shot the other week, and, I God, I enjoyed it. Yes, it's interesting how at, at, at that period there were these powerful, powerful movies coming out of America like Apocalypse Now, Coming Home, movies like that, and we, we told a totally different type of – experience yeah. of, you know, ours was about what it's like to be young blokes going to war and also the Australian temperament, how you make a joke of bloody anything to get by. And I think it's a very honest movie. Yeah. 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 One, of the, one of the first things you did was um, something called A Man for All Seasons. Now, was that a nude calendar or was that a play? Because <laughs> <laughs> if it was a nude calendar... I don't want to know what you did in the rain, mate, because that just sounds a bit crook. Uh, <laughs> yeah, man, for that was when I was in amateur theatre, one of the, the one of the one of the plays that I got to, to be in the, when I was a, when I was uh, in amateur theatre, when I was an insurance salesman, and thinking I like this stuff I'm doing. What do I do about this? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Do you like theatre? Do you do? do, you, do you, yeah, do I, I, I haven't done it. I did a play probably three years ago. I did David Williamson's Travelling North. Oh, uh, nice. I love doing it. I love doing it for the Sydney Theatre Company. I enjoy doing it. But, you know, like I had to spend like, you know, five weeks walking around with my hand over the bloody pages going over it and over it and over it. You know, I was so terrified that I wouldn't remember all that stuff. Because, you know, in a, in a movie, you, you do something, you go, oh, sorry, let's do it again. Let's do it again. I don't lie. I didn't do that right. I, I forgot that. What's that? Give me that again. What's that? Yeah, okay. But on a, in a play, in a play, you know, you're there for for two hours, and and you know that on a number of occasions you're going to look at the other person, and you have no idea what you're going to say. <laughs> and you know that's going to happen, and the audience has no idea, and you're going to go, "How do we get back to where we are?" <laughs> and it seems like an eternity, and it's probably like fifteen seconds before someone <laughs> writes a chip. But that moment of where you are completely blank, is quite terrifying. <laughs> um, I was, when I was doing Travelling North, Andrew Upton was uh, the director of it, and he and Kate were running the Sydney Theatre Company at the time. Yeah. And so we, we're doing that, and we do the rehearsal and everything. I have to do the first preview, and I have to right. start the play. I have to walk on and say something and start the play, say something about the about cans, about the trains out there. You can smell the, smell the, smell the sugar cane or something or whatever. Anyway, I walk on stage. I go, look at that, the train's out there or whatever. And I get the line back to front. You know, I say the first line, second, it didn't matter much. So it wouldn't mean a thing to the audience. But right <laughs> then, I've started the play with the wrong line. And my head's going, that's the wrong line. That's the wrong line. You've sucked up the line. Now, I know that that's going to now go on for the next 20 minutes <laughs> while I've got other things to say. So I go, sorry, sorry. I've stuffed that out and starting again. I walk off stage and the audience cheers. <laughs> and then they started again and I walk on and they laughed at everything I had to say. And when I came off, Andrew Upton said, well, let me tell you, the play isn't that funny. You're not going to get those laughs again. <laughs> and I said to him, I said to him when the play finished, I said, oh, Jesus, remember that bloody, uh, that, that first preview when I went off and started playing again? I said, have you ever seen anything like that before? He said no, and I never want to again. <laughs> <laughs> you did say that was your last job in the theatre, didn't you? Uh, did you mean? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, fantastic. Uh, yeah. uh, it's a great story. Hey, Brian, uh, Sweet Jimmy's a great little book, mate. You've done a terrific job, and uh, I hope there's many more of those because you obviously got a lot of stories in here you haven't told yet. Yeah, yeah, got a few in there, a few in there. 
But um, no, it's a joy. It's a, you know, it's a it's a joy to tell stories. Telling stories is great. Fun. I mean, you like, you know, that's what you're doing, aren't you? You, you got a podcast there. You, you get people listening, getting a story. And um, we love stories. Stories are stories are good for us. We learn from stories. Yeah, absolutely. All right, fellas. Well, Th- thanks very much. Thank you so much hey, for your time. We really appreciate you. it. Good to talk to you. All the best. Uh, Take care. All right, cheers. Cheers, mate. See ya. Bye. Get aroused from anybody who would care You hate it, you love it, you'd fake your fucking death Run that out of spanks when you finally get caught Turn it into a little argument, that's not what you've been taught You don't do what your mama ever says You never stay inside and refuse to go to bed Climbing out the window of your bedroom See you later to the people of the night Gonna lie, sick of paper, this magical abyss You somehow think you're fine, but you are fooling no one your mind, it all goes straight through you, nothing left to lose, this confidence, it'll fool you when you're drowning in the blues, we got screws, you never seen a lie today, we got screws, will you ever sit right again, it's all so hard, trying not to fall apart, and you're always walking down the street, you always come lost, when you're going too fast, now it's At a party, but you hardly kick started. And your friends are aiming at you, instead of hidden pinatas. Your life's a violent crumble, you're flaky and you're dark. And even your own mommy doesn't know who you are. You're backed into a corner with no date and no friends. You're the bottom of a pit that no one likes in the end. It all goes straight through you, like a ghost drinking juice. You're confident, but they don't step out of these boots. You got a screw That is Lime Cordial, or Lime Cordial, depending on, you know, which suburb uh, you got bored up in, but uh, I believe it is officially Lime Cordial. That's a track called Screw Loose, and Brian Brown, of course, had a bit to do uh, with those boys being signed by uh, by Chucky. Sweet Jimmy's the name of the book. It's available now, out and about, if you want to check it out. It's got some terrific stories in there. I'd highly recommend it. Good little read. Me too. I'd recommend it too. He's um, a wonderful storyteller and yeah, a is. great actor, and 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 I dare say Kev, he's a great Australian, a good bloke. 
just seems good bloke. To be, yeah, it just seems to be a good bloke. You know, there's some people yeah. that you meet that you go, yeah, he's a good bloke. He was so accommodating with us, I thought he was terrific. And uh, he is a good actor. I mean, we talked oh, to yeah. him then about Breaker Moran. Breaker Moran is just such a great film. I think it's possibly Australia's greatest film we've ever made. Yeah, it would be up there. No doubt about that. It'd be in the top five. Yeah. There'd be oh. Chopper. There'd be Crocodile Dundee. And gee whiz, I'm, I'm sort of breaking my aunt in third. Then you're going to get hanging, uh, picking a picnic at hanging. No, it didn't have an. It didn't have an ending. Okay. It made you know it made a bit of noise. What's but, it still uh, going? Is it? Well, <laughs> just the girls disappeared and no one found them. It's like. Well, that's an ending. That's a shit ending. That's a terrible ending. <laughs> but it's an ending. It's like imagine reading an Agatha Christie book and then you get to the end and she goes, and we never found out who did it. Yeah. Well, that'd be terrible. Well, that's an ending. It's a terrible ending. Well, okay, I've got a question for you then, Smart. All right, then. Where will we be in 50 years? Well, I can tell you exactly. Oh, okay. <laughs> so you're saying that there's no ending to that song? No, there's not. Well, I'll tell you what. I'm going to sue the producers of the never-ending story for false advertising. Because <laughs> it ends. It bloody ends. <laughs> you know, you get Hanging Rock should be called the never-ending story yeah, and the other one should be called creepy dog with kids story. I know. Yeah. <laughs> it is a creepy dog too in Neverending Story. Well, I was talking to my daughter about it. She says, apparently the dog's going, come over here and touch oh. my ear. <laughs> oh, it's, it's truth. <laughs> That'd get you arrested these days. You'd get away with that in the 80s. Oh, it's not good, Kev. It's no, not it's good. Not. Now, no. our next guest on uh, the podcast, thanks to Mercot's Driving Excellence, one three hundred five 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 seven six, is Nick Wolf from the Wolf Brothers. They're uh, a band out of uh, Tasmania. Uh, they've uh, been around for a while, a lot longer than I was aware of. Mm. Um, and this, uh, we're talking about the, the new album, which is called Kids on Cassette, which has uh, got an international release. And they're pretty excited about it. And I've got to say, Brian, you and I listened to it, and it's bloody good. It is good. They're it's very really good indeed. Good. Yeah. No, I don't say that in a surprised fashion. It's just really, really good. Well worth having to listen to it. Well, a lot of their influences came from cassettes that they listened to. The music they listened to as kids was on cassette. So that's yeah. why it's called Kids on Cassette. You'll mm. get a surprise when you hear who are some of their musical influences, which Nick will talk about here. And also going to Nashville and writing over there and all sorts of things uh, we talked to him about. Uh, yep. And uh, then we'll play, And how he uh, got his name. Because Nick was saying that he's he's not got his name and his dad was just thought of it while he was shaving. Right. Right. Well, how did his brother Tom get his name then? Um, it's something <laughs> to do with the, his mother's thumb. But anyway, <laughs> we'll get on to that next week. All right. <laughs> here we go. Nick Wolf from the from the Wolf Brothers here on the Life of Brian. Oh. Congratulations on the album. Uh, it's really really great. What struck me about it was that, like, it's kind of was country, but the production's kind of got some really cool guitar on there, and at times it's almost a bit clubby. It's it's really hard to put into one sort of thing. It's sort of you've got influences coming left, right, and centre there. It's really great. Yeah, no, that's uh, that's uh, yeah, thanks, mate. Um, we really do have a lot of influences coming left, right, and centre. I think that pretty much sums it up. We've always been into you know a bunch of different stuff. Um, whether you know. Obviously, country is a big one, uh, but we've always been huge rock guys, and and I guess making this album, there was also a bit of yeah, it was a bit of electronic uh, little uh, little fad. I went, we went through there for a bit, so yeah, it all kind of crept in, and I think some of it, it all kind of works in, in its own way, and, and it comes across as a one package. So um, yeah, but it was there was a lot of stuff uh, being listened to and and referenced and stuff in, in the making of that's for sure. Yeah, it's really original and. It took you three years to record it. Yeah, yeah, not not really intentionally. Um, I guess it probably took us. Uh, we we're probably ready to go uh, a year and a half um, in, and then uh, COVID struck. Um, oh. But you know, if there was a, a silver lining to it all, I'm kind of glad it happened uh, in a way that we, we we were able to write more songs, ditch some of the songs we had, uh, re-record others. And, you know, you, you never get that chance um, when you're making an album and there's always always something you, you listen back to and go, oh, geez, I wish we recorded that, you know, a bit faster or slower or, you know, that was the wrong key or what a terrible sound we used there. So, um, you know, we had the luxury of that time to go back and go, oh, hang on, 
no, let's 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 re go back to the drawing board and, and redo some of these. I mean, write more songs. Um, all of the writers we usually write with uh, in Nashville and stuff. You know, our normal process is go over there and um, you know dig in for a few weeks and just write as many songs as we can and try and come up with some good ones out of that. But we usually have to go over there. But everyone was literally forced online to write, which is you know not uh, not as fun as being in the room, but. Uh, it, it, some good stuff come out of it and, and songs that wouldn't have existed. So, yeah, happy with how it all all panned out in the end. So you should. Yeah. It's, funny. it's really good. The kids on cassette, uh, the, you got the track and you got the, the name of the album. Uh, so what did you yeah. grow up listening to in Tassie? What sort of music, given you talked about all the influences that are on the album, yeah. what were you listening to as kids, you and, you and Tom? Look, I think the country side of things definitely came from mum. And mum was like right into the the early nineties, um, you know, country boom when uh, like James Blundell Way Out West was like massive, and uh, Lee Kearney and Boris in the Bush, and you know a lot of the American stuff too, Garth Brooks and and Dwight Yoke and all that sort of thing. Mum was into the line dancing and all that sort of caper <laughs> as well, um, you know. Uh, and then like a dad uh, was a drummer, and uh, he was more into his rock and roll credence, um, you know. But Farnham was actually a huge one. For us uh, in our family, uh, we had a, a tape that we taped off Taz TV of like uh, the Chain Reaction John Farnham tour live um, at Rod Laver, and that was uh, I think that's something that really like really got into our DNA that one, you know. Um, so um, yeah, like that the, the the band for Farnham then was essentially Southern Sons. So yeah, um, yeah, we, we sort of called that uh, called that that video, the, our Old Testament. I'm not sure what the New Testament was, but it was something we've always um, held in pretty high regard. So, to, um, yeah, to get Jack actually uh, doing a song with us on the album, just absolute, like, hero status for us. So um, we were just bloody over the moon with that. But, yeah, like, Farnham, Southern Sons. Then, you know, like, I, I went through, you know, we went through metal phases when we were in high school, you know, and we're learning the guitar and using yeah. Metallica Times and Iron Maiden and Pantera, and then um, Brody, uh, who plays guitar, this, uh, and was a was a full time member of the band. Step back now, but we used to have like a, a hair metal band in college. Where we love like Warrant and Def Leppard and all that. Oh, right, <laughs> yeah. So we've been into a whole bunch of stuff over the course of our, our lives, and yeah, hopefully we keep finding new stuff and. Just big music fans, I guess. The only thing wrong with that chain reaction concert because I always thought that it was great. Except you can't sing a long way to the top if you want to rock and roll in a suit. It's just not right. <laughs> and and he did that. I thought, no, go and put a T-shirt on and a leather jacket, then come back later. But you can't That's sing a, it in a suit. Fair call. Yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll pay that. I, will pay. I think it was like a Western uh, cowboy influence shirt, uh, which is still, you know. Oh, okay. Yeah. Still All not. Right. Uh, it's not not very Bond Scott, but uh, look, <laughs> anyway. You know, no, big, uh, big influence that one for us. Who, who produces and mixes your, your songs? Yeah, this one, quite a, quite a few uh, folks had their uh, had their hands on this one. So, uh, our last album, Country Heart, we did with Matt Bell, who's in Sydney, uh, and that was like a big kind of departure, sound wise, from where we'd gone before. Um, this one, I guess, we kind of knew a bit more what we wanted to do, and uh, a lot of it was done with Matt at Love Hurts in Sydney. Singles, uh, no breaks, and starting something. They were done actually uh, with Lindsay Rhymes, who's a, a Sydney guy, lived in Nashville for the last few years, and he's done exceptionally bloody well. Um, huge amount of respect for Lindsay. He's actually cracked the US number one, wow. uh, which is amazing. I oh. think he was either Grammy nominator or possibly even part of a, a Grammy for country song. That might not be totally correct, but just bloody amazing, you know. Um, and then. Uh, uh, got it mixed over in Canada uh, by a guy called Johnny Gasparic. Yeah, there's all flying, all files flying around the world, and then, and of course, uh, little old, little old me in my in my bedroom in uh, Launceston did a couple of tracks on there. So, are you referring to uh, the wolf? Yeah. Are you referring to the wolf's lair, as it's known? Well, so like, oh, what, what do you what do you call your studio? I'm like, oh, I don't know. The, it's just a bedroom with like a live, laugh, love um, sticker on the wall. I couldn't get off when we got the house, so I'm not really sure. <laughs> so I just called it Wolf Slayer. <laughs> Fair enough. Like I listen to it, you know, and it all sounds like one package. I think it all ties into to make one kind of thing. And yeah, yeah, I'm real happy with it. It's very cohesive, despite despite the fact that you've had all these different people working on it. It's great. 
Um, yeah. And this, one, and this one's going to be released overseas for you. Yeah, so um, just like at the start of COVID, we signed a deal with uh, BMG, and um, that's like an international deal, which is pretty yep. amazing. Still surprising to yourself that that's going to happen. Yeah, we're on uh, Broken Bow, BMG over there. We've got some massive, uh, you know, US country acts, uh, Low Cash, uh, Jason Aldean, guys like that. And, you know, I, I sometimes just go on the website and just make sure we're on there because uh, it doesn't <laughs> seem real, but um, <laughs> it's, it's pretty cool. But, yeah, then COVID happened, so, you know, we haven't really been able to get over there to, to um, make the most of, of, of all this, but, um, you know, as soon as we can. We'll... There being America, yeah? Yeah, yeah, and, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Canada too. Oh, we did have a, a, had a, a tour booked uh, in Canada, you know, at the back half of last year, which would have been amazing. Yeah, hopefully we can make all that happen one of these days. Hey, Nick, can you tell us a little about Low Cash? I'm not, I'm not a, a terribly familiar with uh, with what they've done, but you did a gig with them in in America. Is that yeah, right? yeah. So um, Low Cash, they're, they're a massive um, US country act. Uh, you know, I guess over in the states, country is like. A huge, huge deal, you know, and um, mm. it's, uh, yeah, we, we first saw it like cash. We were doing some county fairs over there in uh, the Midwest. I think the one we did with them was in um, Ohio or Indiana or I can't really remember where it was, but um, it was a few years ago and we were sort of like on the sideshow alley stage and, uh, you know, wedged between the corn dogs and the fairy floss and all that sort of <laughs> stuff and the, the carnies and uh, just playing to passers by. And then um, I don't know if you've ever experience one of those county fairs but like you know you're out in the middle of nowhere and it's just like corn as far as the eye can see and then there'll be the showgrounds and then there'll be a massive you know stage like as big as any bloody festival in, in Australia and then at night like thousands of people come out of the corn and, and go and watch the band it's just <laughs> unbelievable but um, Low Cash were doing that one and I just had such an awesome awesome vibe you know great positive just great show you know, they had a song that was blowing up over there at the time, uh, I Love This Life, real banger of a song, and I think it was number one or very close to it at that time. And it was all happening. We thought, man, this is just really, really cool. And then, um, yeah, a few years later, we, we wind up kind of on the same label. And then in the downtime last year, we, we just said, this would be great to, you know, throw the idea out and see if these guys want to do something with us. And lo and behold, they they love the track and they've been awesome to work with, shooting files back and forth. They couldn't even get into the studio to record their vocals. So that they did it theirs at home too. Oh. Uh, and uh, Preston was telling me he, um, he's got young kids, so he locked him out of his bedroom and locked himself in the wardrobe, sat the mic in a um, in his undies drawer or something and um, <laughs> you know, had his iPad sitting down in the sock drawer or whatever and, and did it that way. So, it's, uh, yeah, it all kind of worked out, but I just like to, every time I hear it, you know, played somewhere, I, I just like to imagine him doing that in his wardrobe. I think that's a great, uh, great image. <laughs> it's, 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 it's not often you hear of a, um, a singer going into the closet. Normally they get out of the closet. But anyway, that's it. he's got his own unique style. That's great. <laughs> How did you find American audiences when you're playing at the fairs and stuff? Is are they different to Australian audiences, or did you go over well? How did it, how yeah, it work I, out? I, they are different. And I think, like, you know, over here, kind of, if, if a crowd hasn't seen you before, uh, I, I feel like you've got to do a lot more to prove yourself, uh, if yeah. that makes sense. You know, <laughs> you're starting from there, and then you've got to win them over. But um, it's kind of like, I don't know, I don't, maybe, maybe you get more loyalty that way from an Australian crowd when you do win them over. But yeah. I feel like uh, over there, they're a bit more maybe just like if you're on the stage, then they've kind of already accepted that, okay, that they must be okay or, or something. And, right. you know, and they're a bit more, bit more, um, bit more accepting right from the start. And, and you know, just, I guess they're just their general culture and personality is a little more perhaps over the top. So they're pretty keen to, to get into things. And the, the whole time we played over there, which we haven't done too much of, to be totally honest, but was awesome, you know, like just people just mind-blown that Tasmania was even a place and what the hell we were doing over there playing, you know, kind of an American style of, of country music being from Tasmania and they, they just found it really intriguing. It was, it was a lot of fun. Oh, that sounds great. The um, the album's kind of been built for the, for uh, for performing live, hasn't it? I mean, every one of these tracks is gonna is gonna jump out on stage, so uh, that's going to be a, a good passport for you in the states when you finally get there. 
well, that's what we thought. We, that was kind of the mission statement, just to make like an album we could play, you know, as a, as a as a set to people who didn't know us from Barra Soap and um, you know didn't know our backstory in Australia or whatever like that, and they just seeing us at a county fair or wherever we may end up, and just be like, oh, this feels good. I, I want to check that out. So that was kind of the underlying you know vibe we were, we were thinking when we were trying to write the songs. And yeah, I, th- I think we kind of did that. Like, there's, you know, the softer kind of things like what you make it on there and yeah. and things like that but you know it's still that even that one's pretty sing along and you know easy, easy to get into i guess yeah yeah i found it you know it just instantly sort of was like oh yeah this is comfortable um yeah 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 the song with amy shepherd's a beauty yeah yeah that one that one came about riding over there that was one of the ones because you know, as i said before we go over to nashville and we write like twice a day or three times a day. I mean, the way it works, though, there's literally offices and, and buildings of writers who are, you know, that's their job and they just, it's like a ship. They go in, do a couple of writes a day and we just, you know, try and book a bunch of their favourite ones. Um, but inevitably, the well, we take a bunch of ideas over there, but eventually you, you run dry and that was that day was kind of when that one happened. We just kind of wrote with uh, this guy, Drew Kennedy, um, who we've become great mates with, but we're like, mate, like, Sorry, I know this is our first time writing, but we just the well is dry. I'm very sorry, you know. So we just had a bit of a yarn, the chat here from Texas, and uh, you know, we just kind of got talking. Then eventually, we said, "Well, let's just bloody write something that, that feels good." Yeah, we've talked about what songs you know just people can easily get into, and, and Billy Jean came up. You know, there's not, I guess, there's not much of a similarity to Billy Jean now, apart from the kind of kind of underlying um, groove of it, but. Uh, yeah, so that one felt good right from the get-go. We wanted to do something with Amy for a long time. Uh, we met Shepard uh, backstage at this, uh, I think it was like a rugby union test in Brisbane a few years ago, and it got completely rained out. So there was us, Shepard, uh, Lee Kernigan, Shannon Noel, uh, Wes Carr, all in this dressing room under the stadium, uh, waiting to be told to you know go and do this halftime thing. They're like, oh, it's, yeah, it's postponed. It's... Um, We'd just run a bit late, raining, you know. And anyway, no one really told us what was going on. So uh, eventually, you know, people started having a few drinks and we all hit it off and became good mates. And then um, eventually, like a janitor kind of walked down the corridor and saw us all in there and he's like, oh, yeah, they've cancelled the game. Everyone's, everyone's, there's no one in the stadium. <laughs> so, oh. <laughs> so we're just like, oh, well, cool, we'll just, just go on. But, um, <laughs> yeah, we, it was, I'm kind of glad it happened because we really hit it off with those guys and it's been great to finally do something with Amy. You know, a lot of respect for them. They've done some, um, you know, massive, massive stuff. So, awesome. I really like I really like the words in it. I think the words are really good. Um, I like a lot. You like a little. Let's yeah. take a shot and meet in the middle. But <laughs> what I really liked about that, did you consciously use the word shot? Because if you like a lot and she likes a little, you have a shot of whiskey, so you're drinking a little, but you're really getting a lot. Does that cross your mind at all? Well, no, no, probably not. Maybe I should just claim that. That's, uh, yeah, it's, it's, yeah, it's like claim it. you're having a lot and a little by having a shot. That's fantastic. <laughs> That's go. good. I'm, I'm glad you appreciate it. The, uh, yeah, I like the, the second verse, the uh, Dolly Parton, perfect, Kenny Rogers, cool. Oh, no, we go together like islands. Anyway, I can't remember. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, uh, I like the second verse. Yeah, it's great. It's hey, really Nick, good. When's, well, it, uh, when's it going to be released in the States? Mate, it should be out uh, now, like on uh, streaming platforms and all that okay. sort of stuff. You know, um, it's pretty cool. We've got some um, good like playlisting stuff with, um, with streaming services and we're getting some good numbers over there. So, um, yeah, you know, like starting something to, the current single, you know, it is summer over there. It's a, it's a summer song, so hopefully there's some. This all we are seeing some, you know, people posting on their Instagram and stuff, and having a good Barbie over there, and in the warm weather, cranking the song. And so, uh, yeah, good vibe. So. Yeah, from Tasmania to Nashville, I love that as a, a kind of little strip line for for you boys too. I reckon that that's gonna that's gonna be used somewhere. Hope so. Hopefully, like at the, the Grand Old Opry or something like yeah. that. That'd be good. <laughs> That'd be great. Hey, who, be very nice. Who decided to use Tiny Dancer as uh, as the song reference in uh, anybody ever? Well, we were writing that one with a guy, uh, James T. Slater, and he uh, wrote a lot of big Tim McGraw songs. And oh. we were in his his house. Tim McGraw did a cover of Tiny Dancer, and I think we were looking at 
the uh, the kind of gold plaque on the on the wall of that album. Because we also mentioned Kim McGraw in that in that verse as well. Um, so it's uh, yeah, that was pretty much just looked up at the wall and oh yeah, like Kim McGraw and Tony Dancer. Cool. There you go. <laughs> kind of worked out all right. Yeah, beautiful. Yeah. Hey, congratulations on the album, mate. It's really good. Uh, we both uh, we both really enjoy listening to it. So uh, best of luck uh, here with it and uh, in America with it. And uh, thanks for having a chat to us. It's been really good. Thank you so much, guys. Congratulations, chat. Bloody appreciate it. Well, you don't like my smoking. You don't like my drinking. You don't always understand my simple way of thinking. But there's some kind of magic with it like whiskey and coke. And once I got a taste to you, you had me on the ropes. I like a lot. So the line, you be my come from different worlds, but when I was alive, it's a cosmic reaction. It's the law of attraction. When you get us both together, something good's gonna happen. You buy designer and I'm okay in jeans. We go together just like islands in a stream. Your daddy part and perfect. You're getting right just cool. And toe to toe, our skin on skin, we're good at what we do, yeah. I like a lot, you like a little. Let's take a shot and we can meet in the middle. Try to sound a bit of crazy, I'll try to sew the line. You feel my come from different worlds, but when I was gonna lie, it's a cosmic reaction. It's the law of attraction. When you get us both together, something good's gonna happen. Something good's gonna happen There it is. That's uh, the Wolf Brothers and that song with uh, Amy Shepherd called Something Good's Gonna Happen. Check out the uh, the album because it's really good. It's available on Spotify uh, and all the platforms. Um, it's called Kids on Cassette and uh, some really, really good songs on, on that CD. So check it out. Now, it's other music that came out this week, Kev, was ABBA, first songs in 40 years. Were you, you a listen- fan? Um, my cousin across the road was a fan and I used to have to take her to the movie and to see the movie and uh, do a lot of ABBA things with her. Did but you like them? I appreciated them. Well, I didn't mind them, absolutely. And, um, you know, as you get older, you realise, gee, these are really well-crafted and well-produced songs. Yeah, I agree. So I was fairly excited to uh, hear that they've got a new album coming out. I listened to the first song, um, I Still Have Faith in You or something, Oh, gee, I don't know. It um, it sounds like musical theatre, you know, like something that should be in Act 2. Now, I um, haven't heard it, so I'll ask you the questions. Does it mm. sound like a ABBA? Yeah, it does, but not – there's no drums hardly in it. Oh, it's, okay. it's sort of more uh, – I was there uh, – and I think the girls haven't been speaking English for a long time – because their Swedish accent seems stronger than ever. Oh, okay. Um, the other song's not bad, um, but, you know, probably, uh, you know, I, I'll be looking forward to better songs on the rest of the album. I don't think these, are, if these are the two strongest, well, p- possibly a little bit disappointing. Okay. Mm. Uh, with the distance, you're right about the, 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 the tyranny of distance with them. When I was on the the radio in the 70s and they were huge, I didn't like them at all because they, they were like uh, they were like the disc jockey version of detention. Every, yeah. You know, once or twice an hour for three minutes, you would hear Brian's phone go off. No, yeah. once once or twice an hour for three minutes, you would have to play, you know, Mama, Mama, Mama Mia or... 
Oh, and I didn't. I, SOS, I, Waterloo, I, I learnt, Fernando. I learned to, to hate their songs um, with a passion because they were just they were in your face so much. Um, and you're right. Looking back on them now, having you know not played them on the radio for a long time, uh, actually I do now appreciate what they what they did and how good they were as pop songs. I still yeah. don't like them particularly, but mm. I do appreciate the craft and, and what they what they brought to the table. And they were massive. My God, they were big. They were as big as the oh, Beatles. They were uh, probably probably statistically probably bigger. Um, well, definitely in Australia. Um, I don't know about America, but um, a huge hit. Yes, huge, you, yeah, absolutely, uh, and and uh, it's it's good to see them back making some music again. I always always like to hear um, what people who've uh, been bigger yeah. than that era what they what they're doing now because they don't just you know curl up in the corner and not produce stuff anymore. And there seems to be a, a sort of train of thought that you know what they do now is irrelevant, and not good. If it's still good, it's still good. Uh, I think it's good. it's certainly good enough to be released. It's, yeah. it's it, you know, and as an ABBA fan, I'd be you know I'd be delighted to hear it. Um, and the avatars they've got <laughs> for their concert, where they're building them, that's um, interesting. <laughs> look, they look a bit like uh, something out of Call of Duty or Grand Theft Auto. Oh, okay. So someone suggested they look like the Power Rangers from. Um from that TV show of the 80s and 90s. Look, I think they're probably still tweaking it, but, you know, in the darkness, I think it'll look fine. But um, just on TV, it's a bit stark. It's like, oh, gee whiz. But um, good on them. They'll probably be able to, be able to put on a concert in Australia, England, Paris, France, um, Germany, America, LA, and that all on the one night. Yep. So, you know, it's just a licence to print money for them. Good yeah, luck to them. You couldn't couldn't see them. Oh, well, I wouldn't, wouldn't think they'd be short of a dollar, given that. <laughs> Massive records. No, well, the, the guys wrote all the songs, so they'd be, you know, pretty cashed up. But the girls were married to the guys, so they would have got half the money anyway. So. Yeah, well, I'm sure they would have been looked after because without the girls, the ABBA wouldn't have been big if it had just been the two blokes. No, they wouldn't. Benny have. and Bjorn, Bjorn, I'm sorry, nah, not going to, not going to happen. No. They, they would have been more likely to succeed as a doubles partnership at Wimbledon than they would have as a. Uh, <laughs> a musical thing without the girls. Let's be honest here. Well, which one did you like of the girls? Um, I, I did like the blonde one. I liked the I liked Frida. I liked the dark one. Mm. I don't know mm. something about green eyes and dark hair. I don't know. Okay. Okay. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Let's move on. <sighs> Here we are, still gushing, gushing over, gushing over, <laughs> gushing over ABBA. Jeez. <laughs> oh, that was that was a combination of the word ABBA and the word gushing, wasn't it? Yes, um, that's right. That's all that happened. <laughs> that's uh, what it was. Gushing over ABBA. Yes. All right, all these years later. Good luck yes. to them. Good luck and to them. And good luck to Brian Brown with his book, Sweet Jimmy. Check it out at uh, Sweet Jimmy. And we look forward to that, uh, that series he's uh, filming at the moment too that he was in lockdown for when we uh, when we spoke to him. Uh, and also too, uh, the Wolf Brothers, check their CD out. Kids on cassette available on Spotify and all the uh, all the platforms. Uh, and check out uh, the other songs, not just the one we played. Something good's going to happen, but there's some terrific songs on that CD. There is indeed. And we have many more terrific guests coming up on the podcast, including Dave Gleeson, uh, Lisa Edwards, your mate, uh, Buddy Good. Buddy Good. He's going to join us as well. So lots to look forward to and a few uh, surprise international guests as well. So, Brian, thank you very much. Uh, enjoy uh, uh, your week, uh, your month, your day, your night, your whatever you're gushing over at the moment. My next half hour, whatever. I'll enjoy it all. All and, with um, thanks to Murcott's Driving Excellence, 1300 555 576. All right. Thank and you, go Mr. doggies, Kev. Go, go dogs. dogs, yes. The dogs and the Western Western Bulldog umpires, I tell you what, they going, look like they're going all the way. And now, see, you were going well right up until you you soiled yourself then. <laughs> 75-plus free kicks after round 23. Only 167 more free kicks if than Richmond. If you are the fairest team, you. you will be rewarded by the men in pink, yellow, <laughs> blue, green or whatever colours they're wearing this week. Oh, well, well, let the general public decide how Go the Go the red, white was. and blue. Yarn the dogs. Beauty. Beautiful. Go on, Brian. Talk to Cheers, you Cheers, Kev. Bye. Bye.